All right, grab your Bibles this morning. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter number 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. I have one goal this morning, and that's to encourage a heart. I don't know whose heart needs encouraged, but some of you may be going through a challenging thing. Sam, that was a special service yesterday. I left encouraged, a lot of support. It's a wonderful thing to have a godly mom, is it not? I was encouraged, and I'm continuing to pray for your family. But there are times, if not now, you will need your heart to be encouraged. This week, for me personally, it was one of those weeks. And I'm so glad... On Saturday and on Sunday, we had a, just a great Saturday and Sunday. God encouraged my heart. But God used our text that we'll get to in just a little bit to really encourage my heart. I, had, I labored over this. I had a sermon completed about 7.30. I went home. My sermon was on my desk for today. And I went home, and uh, I was going to fellowship with my kids, but they all disappeared and went and did algebra. <laughs> I thought I was more exciting than algebra, but they all left and did algebra. And I thought, well, when my wife goes to ladies' devotions, I'll go back to the office. And, and I went back a little early because they, they uh, were working on homework, and it was pretty quiet in the house. I thought, well, I'll just go work on it. And, and the Lord just would not let me preach that sermon today. And I don't do well putting sermons together the night before. I just don't do well. And so about 10.15, I just began to think through what the Lord's been working in my heart about devotions. And God gave me this sermon, and it's really something I needed. And maybe, maybe someone this morning needs it as well. So it will make sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. 2 Samuel 15. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. Notice this text. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Verse 7, And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I, may, uh, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, 
Then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called. And they went in their simplicity and knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gila, where he, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong. For the people increased continually with Absalom. And there came a messenger to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. I think most of us are familiar with this story. I don't think we need to say a whole lot, but we have a long-haired, beauty of a man, spoiled brat, if you will, rising up in opposition to his own father and going so far as to get his father removed out of his home. Do you think this was difficult for a father? Here's a guy that can conquer, watch me, he can conquer pretty much any nation, but he didn't have the power to control his own son. A son who probably had been given everything, who had experienced just about everything you could want to experience. And in a sense, now this son spits in his eye and says, it's not enough. And he's heartbroken, no doubt. And it gets worse, as we know the story, what happens to this darling of a son, as Spurgeon calls him. And we see a father weeping. As I pray and as I think of my relationship with my earthly father, I wish today that we wouldn't have fathers weeping for the ruin of their sons, but sons weeping because they're in rebellion against the father. Oh, let it also be said for the Christian who's a child of God, not to run rebellion as God often called out to His people and He says, all day long have I stretched out my hand. It's almost like God says, would you please return? Would you, would you please have revival? I want a relationship you with. The Bible says they would not. It doesn't say they could not. They would not. And it's almost, if you will, in the football terminology, a stiff arm. That's what David's dealing with. How, how, how do we cope with rebellion from one of our own? How do we cope with somebody that just seems to be fighting from somewhere within it? Maybe you're dealing with this. I don't know. Maybe there's a home situation. Maybe there's a church situation. You just feel like you're at odds, if I can say it that way. Well, I think it's good to find out how David coped with this. So would you flip to Psalm 3? This will be our text. I want to encourage your heart today. So the title of the sermon is Selah. One word. Selah. What I'd like to do is cause us to pause. Pause and find out how God can encourage us in the midst of our trouble. Would you pray with me this morning and for me? I need it. Lord, I need your help. You have used this psalm to lift up my head, to remove my chin from my chest, to
wipe away a little sorrow and let me look at the sunshine. I'm glad I've been able to have a Sila moment and I'd like somebody today to <clears throat> have the same moment. Use this, I ask in Christ's name, amen. I apologize. Psalm 3, verse number 1, we'll read it. Lord, notice what the, the, the title is. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom. So this is, he's writing this in the midst of this controversy that we just read about. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Here's that word, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. There it is again, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. There it is again. Selah. A lot of times when I don't understand a text, I will hit Matthew Henry, but I really love to go to Charles Spurgeon and I was telling Pastor Armacost this morning, this year I'm going through the treasury of David. I just finished the reading of Psalm 4, and we're in January 17. It's taken me a while. But this one I was just able to stop. And God brought it to me at the right time. And Spurgeon describes this word, Selah, as a musical pause. But he says this, its precise meaning is not known. Now, if you read through the Psalms, you'll find the word Selah 73 times. I believe there's two or three times where it's found in the middle of a verse, but most of the time you'll find it at the end. 76 times it's actually found in the Scriptures, but 73 times in the book of Psalms, three other times it's found in the book of Habakkuk chapter number 3. Three times you'll find it there. Some have said it's simply this, it's a rest in the song. When I read that, I thought about Hallelujah Chorus. There's that moment when they're like, Hallelujah, and Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. And I always want like the trumpet to hit it right there, right at the wrong time, or the cymbals, oops. <laughs> but there's that moment, everybody's kind of anticipating and went, that's that idea, there's just a pause in the action, if you will, and that's what somebody described it. I like this description that somebody said, and I really think this is what this psalm gives to us. Others have said this. It means to lift up the strain of the music or sing more loudly. So I was listening to you guys sing because this was on my heart. And he had the, the ladies sing, and then the men joined, and it kind of just raised it up. And I think of those Groups that get together and there'll be parts and then that last verse, everybody, it, it just gives the idea of a little more strength as you've been encouraged at the beginning of the song. Now we're going to come to the conclusion, if you will. Now we have a change of pace, if you will. But somebody, somebody said, Here, here's that idea that the music's playing, but all of a sudden there's a pause because 
Here's the key to this. this. There's something more noble to come. There's an elevation in our voice now because something more excellent is about to happen. But then here's another thought. It is the idea of the retuning of the harp. Now, Anne, you play, is it viola or violin? Violin. How often do you have to tighten those strings to retune that instrument? So you're saying it's a pretty common thing that has to be done. If you don't do that, what is the result? I agree because I have a cello player in my house. <laughs> Problem is for me, I don't normally tell when it's out of tune, so there's got to be a standard. Ding. Are you with me? And sometimes we just need to retune the harp. And Andrew... Sometimes we just need revival more than once a year at revival meetings. And it would be a regular thing as she pulls that instrument out on a daily basis or a fairly regular basis that it's an automatic thought for you to probably retune the strings. It's got to be adjusted. It's got to be tightened a little bit. And sometimes we rely on somebody else to come along and tighten it for us. But if we're going to play right, if we're going to sound right, if we're going to put off a melodious sound, we need the harp strings tightened. And that's what I needed. And I'm so glad God is willing to tighten the harp strings for us. There's a need for this retuning. And what we need to do is find a sila in the midst of... Of strife. So let's look at this quickly. Verse number one, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? I see an exclamation in trouble. Normally when you're asking somebody a question, you'll say, hey, how do you do this? And how, how, how did they do that? Or how was it? This is not a question. This is a simple exclamation where David says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? There's, a, there's a, a, the punctuation. Look there. It's an exclamation point. I, I love when Pastor Mitchell gets kind of excited. He'll get up and say, how fun. He's not saying it in a question. He's just all excited. It's fun. How fun it is. And here David's looking at his situation. He says, uh, there's, there's an exclamation. I'm in big trouble. How are they increased? I see an exclamation. Number two, I see an escalation of trouble. What does he say? Many, in verse number one, many are they that rise up against me. Verse number two, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help in God. Selah. When, I say it this way, when it rains, it pours. You think that's how Job felt on that lone tragic day when the servant comes and says, hey, the Sabaeans came and all your sheep are gone and then somebody else came and all your camels are gone and somebody else came and all your flocks are gone and then somebody else came and said, hey, all your children are gone and then all of a sudden his wife walks up and says, curse God and die. Do you think Job had the moment like, when is this going to stop? Is it ever going to end? And I feel like David's like, you know what? I don't get it. I feel like I've battled and battled and here it comes again. When it rains, it pours. 
Many here in this case have sought to conquer his royal kingdom. I see a discouraged man in the midst of strife. Now this is a guy, you get, you get to follow the thought here, uh, from about 16, 17 years old. What was his life? Battle after battle after battle after battle. He shows up on the scene. He sees a giant of a man out there defaming God. He says, uh, that ought not to happen. And he begins this life of warfare. Then he comes back. You think after people are singing about him, life would be good. And then his soon-to-be father-in-law gets jealous, starts chasing him around. I don't know how many years, several years. And then he gets into the kingdom. And it's battle after battle after battle after battle. You say, he should be used to it. There's a point, and it's really fun to fight against the world. Watch me close. But it's not fun. It's not fun. It's not pleasant when you feel like you're fighting people from within. And this is where he's at. I don't think it would be a problem if he's fighting the Philistines and the the Gibeonites and the Midianites and the Mosquito Bites and all the ites. But we see a little of his human side now. His son. His son rises up against him. I I know you don't get this. But one of these days when you have kids and you feel like all you do is fight against your kids, it will grieve your heart. It will grieve your mind. You have no idea, no idea the effect that you have on mom and dad. And here's a son that rises up. That's who he's fighting against. Then I call this his senate. Good old Ahithophel, his famous counselor, the guy that was always there for him. Now he also rises up against David as well, his son, his senate, and then his soldiers. These are guys that had his back. But what happens is the Bible says that in this rebellion, the conspiracy was what? It was, it was strong. It wasn't just a bunch of you know, guys that said, you know what, well, we're going to conquer the kingdom. They rose up and it multiplied and it multiplied. And it was to the point where David says, we've got to leave our home. We've got to leave the palace. Now, here's a thought. I don't know how true this is, but it was in some of the study. Can you imagine? Do you remember the group of men that came to David when they, he was running from Saul? They were men that were in debt. They were discontent. They were distressed. They were kind of not not a happy group of men. I wonder if any of the sons of these men were in this group. Here's a man that had given these guys a chance and had maybe trained these young men to be warriors. And now they're the very ones that rise up against you. People that Paul most likely led to the Lord. People that he had discipled. He tried to grow in the faith. And then he says this, Am am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You think think that's hard for, for Paul to watch? Maybe Alec, maybe Demas was one that he led to the Lord and now he walks away. And these other people that he mentioned, he says, mark them because you know what? They're going to be a problem for you. These are people that he no doubt preached and they walked an aisle and now they're the ones fighting against. That's David here. Sometimes it seems like it never stops. It's attack after attack after attack. Jackson, your day's coming. The honeymoon period of being in the ministry. Everybody loves Mr. Jackson. Well, not everybody. And you guys are going to step out in the ministry. I'm not trying to depress you from ministry. Ministry is wonderful. It is an awesome life. But not everybody's going to like you. 
Miss Abby, you graduate this year? I hope you end up in the kindergarten class because you'll be about as tall as your students. <laughs> but nice Abby samples. And those kindergartens will go home and say, <laughs> and they'll take their large pencils and they'll come up behind her and try to knife her in the back. I just read about a six-year-old that shot his teacher at school. Like, what in the world? Took a gun to school. They found out about it. They checked his bag. He concealed it well enough for them not even to be able to find it. And then when his teacher turned around, bam! Be glad he didn't have a good aim. But she was a six-year-old. Watch out, Abby. <laughs> back in my day, and I still think probably the best running back of all time, my favorite running back, Barry Sanders. Love Barry Sanders. He was not a cocky guy at all. I think he was 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and he just was fun to watch. He was a running back for the Detroit Lions. That's why they never won anything, but he was good. And he would go in. He'd hit a, he'd hit a tackler, bounce off, and go over here. Hit an, he'd go through four, five, six guys. He was so much fun to watch. And I have that idea of Barry Sanders, if you will. The, the defense comes at him. He gets hit. He gets hit. He gets hit. He gets hit. He gets hit again. You'd think, all right, how about all 11 of you guys just grab him? It'd be a whole lot easier. It's like... It's like those, uh, the old movies, and the, the one guy's standing there, and he's got like a thousand guys around him, and they get in line. He's like, <laughs> next guy starts like, <laughs> you know, the old karate movies, he's like, I must break you. You, know. <laughs> you guys are carnal, man. <laughs> you should watch those things. But you'd think it'd just be a lot easier if all a thousand just jumped on him. But even Samson, he had this jawbone of a donkey. Uh, who's next? <laughs> it's the Bible Donkey Kong, I guess. But it's almost as if, and, and maybe you felt this way. This person comes to you and they kind of attack you. And then the next person. And the next person. And it almost seems like it happens at the same time. You with me? And it's just nonstop. And, and that, that idea, trouble, trouble comes with company. It's just the way it is. And it just seems like, can, can I not just serve the Lord? That's all I want to do. In the midst of serving the Lord, it just seems like problem after problem after problem. And, and again, I can take it from somewhere out there. But when it's here or when it's in our church, it's really frustrating. You ever been there? Maybe not. Many have sought to conquer his royal kingdom. They've risen up against him. Many have sought to cripple his faith. faith. Notice what they say. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. I tell you what, there's one thing when you say, Brother Ramos, you're not strong spiritually. That's true. You're not that great of a Christian. I have to agree there. But when they start saying, God can't help you, that's pretty tough to take. And so they go so far as to pull down the only thing, the only person that we can have confidence, but they're rising up and they're saying, God can't help you. Some of these people probably saw him sin with Bathsheba. Some of these people probably saw the family problems that he had, and he had plenty. 
Some of them probably saw the immorality involved in his life with all these wives and concubines, and now it's a good time to rise up and throw that sin back into his face. They knew he was a murderer because word spreads really well. There's a guy named Shimei. When David's leaving, so he can't even just leave his palace in peace. On the way out, there's this guy named Shimei. Listen to what he says. When David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. And as David and his men went, by the way, Shimei went along the hillside over against him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him, cast dust. Here's a guy that you look at and you say, Man, he's, he's rude and he's, he's bloody. And he's rebellious. This is what David's dealing with. A bitter old man. And it just seems like it doesn't stop. But, But as I think about all those accusations, listen to me. Things that you have done, stay with me. Things that you have done, you will have friends, family members, people that you think care about you, will keep bringing those up. Sorry. That's just the way our world is. Is it fair? No. But they're going to keep accusing you. Now now watch me. Did that not very thing happen to the Lord Jesus Christ? He did nothing, but yet he was accused and accused and accused and accused. And many rose up against him. Don't let us think for a minute that everybody's going to love us. We're going to go to such and such church and all the teenagers are going to bow down and worship you. No, just confront them a little bit. And then your imperfections will surface and they will have their eyes on those very things and you're going to say, it's not fair. Welcome to David's world. Welcome to Jesus' world. You need a Selah moment. That seems pretty depressing, doesn't it? Verses 1 and 2. But I think the strain is about to get a little bit louder. Because look at verses 3 and 4. I love this. But thou. That word, that conjunction, stay with me, James. That conjunction changes the tune, if you will. It sounds like for David, life is real bad, but the enemies have grown, but... My faith has been attacked, but, but thou. We see the person. Oh, Lord. All capital letters. We know, I think, who that is. That's Jehovah, the self-existent one. He does not need us. But when the the, uh, problems pile up, guess what? You can say, but thou. You can start to sing a little bit louder, a little more cheerful, because you have the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Sometimes we just need to look back at the nation of Israel, and God says, you know what, you've been a little weary. How about you just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord? Sometimes he says, you know, I'm going to have more killed in the hailstones than you're going to use with your bows and arrows and your spear. I've got this. Sometimes we need to be retuned to look at the person. But look at the protection involved. He says, but thou, O Lord, art a shield. Now I picture shield, these, these soldiers with this little tiny circle thing on their arm and they're doing this and they're all over doing this. That's not what the word is. The word shield here is my understanding is it's a buckler. 
And the idea of a buckler is a shield that surrounds all of our entirety. So the things I can't see, God's got my back. I can't see all the problems that are going to come. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure what's coming for the Snyder family in the next day or so as we pray. I don't know, but I can say this. As we get discouraged, and it seems like many are overwhelming us, but thou, the person, and then we see the protection. He's a shield for us. Can he not rise up for us today? I'm so glad he can. It's interesting to note, we think of that shield of faith. What does it do in the book of Ephesians? It quenches the fiery darts of the wicked. May I remind you how this rebel son died? On his little mule, going through the forces, locks of hair waving in the wind. This little stinking rebel, this little beauty pageant rebel. God says, you know what? You're going to fight against somebody that says there's no help for him in God. I got you. I got this oak tree. How about you hang out in there for a while? And as he's hanging there, swing low. Against the wishes of this rebel's father, Joab shows up, and what does he have? He gets three darts, the Bible tells us, and pierces the very heart of this rebel. They pull him down, throw him in a pit, cover him with rocks. That's the end. He didn't have that shield of protection. The darts couldn't protect him because he didn't have, but thou, O Lord, Ahithophel, that counselor that rose up, guess what he did? He went and hung himself. You get the point? You want to fight against God and the people of God? You're going to end up hanging yourself. Uh, It's pretty interesting, even the Lord's accuser, the one that betrayed him, what did he do? He went and couldn't even do that right. He hung himself, now watch me, excuse me, and his guts burst asunder in that field of Akeldama. I'm glad I have the Lord. And those people will rise up against you, but we need to understand there's a a person involved, there's protection involved, and the praise there, the the glory. What does David say? Say, uh, you are my glory. He was used to being praised and glorified as a king. But at some point, people are going to tell you how great you are, but at some point, that's going to fade. You better know where your glory is supposed to be directed to. David says, he's my glory. But if, if, if this is the only thing that you get and I need to be done, This is what grabbed me. I call this the preciousness. Our Lord, a shield for me, my glory, and here's that phrase, the lifter up of mine head. That's kind of an odd phrase. I had to dig a little bit to find out what that was. And one of the writers took me to Genesis chapter 40. Don't turn there. Do you remember the butler and the baker? They displeased their ruler and they were thrown into prison. And they were there, they were a little downcast and Joseph recognized that and says, something's wrong and they told him the dream and Joseph told him what the baker's dream was and told him what the butler's dream was. In Genesis chapter 40 it says, Joseph says, yet within three days shall Pharaoh, here's the phrase, lift up thine head 
and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. And it came to pass the third day, verse number 20, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. It may be that your chin rests here. You're overwhelmed. Everybody's against me. I'm sure if you've been here any length of time, you've been there. You've been there. You've been there. You're sorrowful. But you get to that Selah moment. And David says, God's going to lift up my head. It's a beautiful word. It's the word restoration. Men have a really hard time doing this. I'm not good at it because I keep bringing up, oh, yeah, Andrew, when you were 13. I, I have those things. I try not to be mean and nasty, but there's just something in mankind that doesn't give it up. Not him. He can be the lifter up of your head, but let him do it. You need to have a Sela moment when you stop and say, right, I get it, God. To me, it's so precious because I get down. Bad time, maybe it's health or sorrow. Maybe in, in, in humility, you realize I just need, you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Guess what he does? He will, he'll, he'll lift you up. And some of you come and you say, i got to confess this. And you humble yourselves and watch when God lifts you up. It's a, it's a whole heap better when God does it. It was so encouraging and I needed it. And we see the prayer, I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill. Silent prayers work. But this was not a silent prayer. <laughs> He cried. I know what happens when you guys silently pray in your dorm room. <laughs> he knows at least. Uh, you've been there? You have great intent to get alone with God. And you're gone. Somebody's with me. <laughs> Let's picture, let's just give J.J. a chance to have a date. All right, let's just say he gets one. I know some miracles happen, but that's all right. So he's sitting there with his special whoever in about 12 years. <clears throat> Can you imagine if it was, this is going to get a little gross, if it was just silent the entire date time? I'm getting creeped out. We'll just stop right there. Right? <laughs> no, you kind of expect a little bit of vocal hap happening, right? A little bit, little bit of, you know, talking. How's it going? Uh, silent dating would probably not be real fun. But if you're talking and the other person's resting, you know, you're thinking there's not a lot of... In you, 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 there's something going on. There's, there's some... some ha and he's, he's not just... Oh, Lord... He's crying out 
Remember the blind man that was there by the wayside begging and Jesus walks by and people were saying, shh, shh, no, no. Hey, I need to get his attention. There's a time you need to get God's attention. He didn't care, he didn't care who was annoying. He had to get God's attention. It was a heralded prayer. And I'm so thankful that it was a heard prayer. I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill. I can't finish, but I'll say it this way. We need to seal a moment. It's just good for us to pause. Now watch me. In the midst of our day, retune the strings. Tighten them a little bit and retune your heart. If you know the song, Come Thou Fount, There was a man that wrote that song. I think he was 22 when he wrote it, and then he got away from God. And he happened to hear a lady on a carriage singing that song. She said, what did you think of that song? He said, I I wish I could be back there when I wrote that song. But in the midst, it says, tune my heart to sing thy praise. I'm glad God got me in tune a couple days ago. And I could say, at the end of the psalm, salvation is of the Lord. You know who else said that? The only other time in scriptures, I believe it said Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. I would say he had to get retuned. Not tuna, huh, retuned. But at the end of his prayer, salvation is of the Lord. Let's have a sila moment. Let's just pause, lift up the strain, and maybe something more noble is to come because you've stopped and you've considered the person of God. Lord, These thoughts have overwhelmed my heart. You have done what you do. You've encouraged my spirit. And I prayed that one today might be encouraged. If just one, it was worth the time of study, preparation, and I left out some notes. We just need you. Maybe it's just a psalm of revival. I need revival. And I look to just a couple weeks from now, revival meetings, but man, it'd be awesome if we could just have it early. Early. I just need retuned. And maybe someone else here does today. Would you speak to hearts as you play? We don't belabor the time. If the Lord's dealt with you, would you come? Stand to your feet.